And I want to talk to you tonight about the reality of being ambassadors for Christ. It's mentioned in this passage, we're going to begin in verse 17 and then go into the first three verses of verse 6. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespass unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. For we have made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain, for he saith, I have heard thee in the time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so, as I said, we're going to look at this uh, subject of being ambassadors for Christ. Here in this passage, is clearly spoken in verse 20. Paul says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. The we, of course, includes himself. It includes the Corinthian believers that he's writing to, but as the, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, it's also speaking uh, to you and I that we that are saved are ambassadors. And so what does that involve? We're going to uh, maybe not answer all these, but we're going to look at the five W's uh, of study, who, what, where, when, and why, and then the one H, how. But just what is encompassed in that idea of being ambassador? What does it mean historically and grammatically? And when we study our Bible, we study the history of it and what's going on, but grammatical, historical, grammatical interpretation of the Bible. How does one become an ambassador for Christ? Uh, what's the mission of the ambassador? Why is it important? What message is he to bring uh, from the king? And how should he conduct himself? That word ambassador, of course, uh, is a common word. It's something that most of us know about. We have numerous ambassadors, and I don't know if ambassadorship is a word, but numerous men and others that represent our country as U.S. citizens go to live in another country and represent our country. When Paul wrote this and the Corinthians read it, it, they would immediately understood it was a very common word. It, there was, though, two uh, kinds of provinces. Or two, when we talked to the, about the Romans, the Romans had uh, what they would call senatorial provinces. Rome was ruled by not only the, the Caesar, but, but the Senate. And there were those that were called imperial provinces. And the sen senatorial provinces were those that were loyal to Rome. They had no problem there. The people that lived in those provinces were peaceful and obeyed the rule of Rome. But you know, Rome was going around the world and trying to conquer portions of the world, and there was territories that weren't 
loyal to Rome, and, and they, were called, they were called provincial uh, provinces. And there they would send the ambassador, and the ambassador would go there trying to uh, make peace with those people, uh, trying to avoid any kind of a moment that would trigger a revolt and cause the Roman army to quickly uh, get uh, to that place and, and suppress it. And that's really how, uh, we don't have time for all this, but that's really how the Roman roads were built. And, and that with the Roman roads, uh, the gospel went along the Roman roads, and God really set up uh, the first century for Christ to come and the church to, to spread rapidly. And, and Rome took care of the, of the imperial provinces, got out of line. But these ambassadors were there to treat the people fairly, to, to try to make sure that there was peace. Now, when we talk about ambassadors, and when he says, now you're ambassadors for Christ, it's a very noble word. It was a title that was given to someone who represents his government. It was a term of great dignity to scorn an ambassador or to mistreat an ambassador would be, in a sense, to scorn and mistreat the government he represented or the king that he represented. To send the ambassador away from the territory would break uh, relationships uh, with the government and with the monarch that he represented. And so when Paul used the term ambassador in reference to himself and reference to the Corinthians and in reference to you and I, he's, he's uh, saying a lot. And though this is very simple in its wording, it's very profound in our relationship to it, that we are representatives, that we're ambassadors. An ambassador is both a messenger from the sovereign, but he's also a representative of the one who sent him. And so he brings messages, but also uh, when people see him, uh, he represents his king, he represents his country. And just as an ambassador lived in a foreign land, Philippians reminds us uh, that our conversation or our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we also look for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so one of the things we need to keep in mind, though we live in this world and have to function in this world and, and work and eat in this world, this world is not our home. That, that we're, ambass we're only ambassadors here. We're here to represent a king. Paul, and Peter it kind of hits at this too when he, he talks about the, us being aliens and strangers. He said, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstained from fracy lust which war against the soul. And so when we think about an ambassador, an ambassador doesn't speak to please his audience. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't speak on his own authority, but he represents the king. And his opinions <laughs> really mean very little it's what the king says. It's what the king wants. It's what the message is from the king. And so he's been simply sent to say what he's been commissioned to say. But as we said here, an ambassador is more than a messenger. He's also a representative. The honor and the reputation of his country lies in his behavior. It's interesting when it uses this word ambassador, now we are, we are ambassadors for Christ, we would think that the word ambassador would be a noun, but it's not a noun, it's a verb, and it's a verb in the present tense. And so what does that mean? 
It means that 24-7, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, we are ambassadors. That we're speaking for the king and we represent the king. When we go to the store, we're, we're representative, we're, we're, we're being looked at. If people know that you, you claim to be a Christian, uh, they're watching you. That we, uh, we on a 24-7 basis, are to be, uh, be conscious of the fact that we not only are sent to give a message, but we represent someone. And when we lose our cool or when we do a good deed or, or when we get mad and throw things around or, or when, we, when we do something that's a blessing, all of it reflects upon our king. And so that's very sobering to me. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of an understanding of ambassador. And, and I think that we can see that, that it's a, it's a 24-7 job. It's a, it's a noble job. It's a, it's a wonderful place to be, and that we uh, are representing our, our king of kings 24 hours a day and seven days a week. Now, how then is one appointed uh, to be an ambassador? How do you become an ambassador? Well, I think verse 18 spells it out very clearly when it says, all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. You are not an ambassador unless you've made peace with God. You're not an ambassador until you've been reconciled through the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that there's, a, there's, a, there's a division, there's a conflict, there's an enmity, the Bible would use that word, between God and man. And for us to be in the kingdom of God and for us to be an ambassador for God, we're going to have to make peace with God. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to be reconciled by God. I want you to hold your place here, but go over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, look at verse 12. It gives us an indication of what we are before we've been reconciled with the Lord. And he says at that time, that is before we've been saved, before we've been reconciled, that at that time you were without Christ. Imagine uh, tonight you that have been saved for, for a while. What it would be to without Christ? Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. That, that, that we are not citizens. Uh, when it uses the word commonwealth of Israel, it's not it's talking about physical Israel, but it's talking about, as it says in Romans, that, that those that are Jews inwardly, uh, but he that is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcised out of the heart and in the spirit, not the letter. And so we're citizens of the Israel in that sense. But, it, but he says here that, that you are without Christ being aliens, that you, that you don't belong here from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers from the covenants of promise, that is none of the promises in the Bible, the covenants that God has made uh, with us, that, that Jesus Christ is going to go to the cross, God the Father would forgive sins and those that trusted him, the covenants that are given, having no hope without God in the world. That's the situation that we find ourselves in before we're reconciled. But once we're reconciled, we have a great hope. A sure and steadfast hope. We're no longer aliens, but we're citizens. And we're not only citizens, but we're heirs and joint heirs with Christ. And so 
we, we see the great contrast here. And so if you're here today, tonight, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, no, not only are you not an ambassador, but you're on very shaky ground. That the, the, the judgment of God is upon you. That, that, that the necessity to make peace with God is, is a great necessity. And so we've looked at the meaning of an ambassador. He's one that doesn't speak to please his audience, but he seeks to please his king. He does not speak on his own authority. He says what he's been commissioned to say, and he's uh, more than a messenger. He's a representative of his kingdom and a representative of his king. And we saw how an ambassador becomes one by being reconciled uh, to God. Now, what is, what is the mission of this ambassador? If you go with me again back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want you to note some words here. We're going to begin in verse 17 again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And boy, we could camp there for a while. But I want you to note some words, or form of the word that's been repeated over and over here. He said, all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and have given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us the, committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Uh, you can't, five different times there, in different uh, forms of the word reconcile, but it's very clear as you see this, and he begins to talk about the ambassadorship, that our purpose in this world is to uh, reconcile people to God. Not that we can in and of ourselves do that, but we play a vital part in giving forth that message. That, that, that again, remember that, that the ambassador simply speaks for the king. And he's giving the king's message. And, and our job in this world is to go to this world and tell him that the, our king wants to be reconciled to you. He wants to make peace with you. He wants you to have the peace of God that passeth understanding. And not only peace of God, but peace with God. And so, as his representatives, we're trying to reconcile wicked, lost sinners, rebels, uh, to God. Now, I want you to think about the magnitude of that. The Christian God, the God of the Bible, the one and only true God, the only God in this world of many little G-gods wants to be reconciled with man. You go to the, you go to the Islamic religion and Allah of the Islam and he's, uh, he's mean. He doesn't even want anything to do with man. You go to all, you, you just name the different religions of the world. And the God, uh, their gods, little g gods, uh, don't want a relationship uh, with, their God, with their people. Yet here, the true God, the one and only God, the great creator God, says that he wants to be reconciled to man. That doesn't make sense to the false religions. And really, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. The, those who 
who uh, the, this, the God of the Bible is offended on a daily basis. He's blasphemed. He has his name used as a cuss word. His laws are violated on a regular basis. And for him to desire to be reconciled to me, it goes beyond my understanding. But, but, what, but understand that uh, the God of the Bible is a great God. That the God of the Bible is a God who cares for us, that, that reaches out to us. I also want you to think about the exclusiveness of us being uh, committed to us, the word of reconciliation. There, there's a, there's in our lives and our hearts uh, a, a desire. I know that we have relatives and we enjoy this world. We want to go kill the moose and catch the salmon. And, but deep down in the child of God's heart, uh, we want to escape and go to glory. We want to be perfect. Can you imagine? <laughs> One day we'll never sin again. We want to be perfect. We long for the day when our bodies, as Job says, as fresh as a newborn baby, that we don't suffer. But we're left here. Why, did, why didn't God just save us and take us out of this rotten world? We see this rottenness even, even uh, festering and growing more and more in our day. Uh, it's rotten. America can't even be perceived anymore as a godly nation. And, and, uh, and we want to escape it. And, and actually, there's not much love for a true Christian in this world. And when we go representing the Lord as his ambassadors, often we are rebuked and turned away. But why then are we left here? We're left here for one reason, and that is to be reconcilers of God, to reconcile people to God. Do you understand there's a book written by a man named Cahill, uh, and it's on evangelism. He says, one thing we can't do in heaven, we won't be reconciling anybody in heaven. We're going to enjoy it all. But listen, my purpose and my meaning and my, my, the, way, the reason God saved me, he saved me and appointed me an ambassador that I might take a message to the world that sinners like me can be reconciled with him. That's our purpose. When you ask yourself why you're here on earth, it leads right straight back to this passage that now then we are ambassadors for Christ. The only reason we're left here is to be a minister of reconciliation. Everything else... It's going to be better in heaven. We struggle, as I said here, to be holy. We struggle with our fellowship. We struggle with our praise. We're easily distracted. We struggle with our communion, our prayer with God. And we kind of limp along in this world and not being very successful. But we are given an ambassadorship, not to fix the culture, but to proclaim the message of reconciliation. This is our ministry. And he says it very plainly there in verse 18. All things are of God who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and have given to us the ministry 
of reconciliation. And so we've looked at the ambassador, we've looked at how he's appointed, we looked at his purpose. Now let's look at the message of the ambassador. If in verse 20, he says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ that be reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Remember, the ambassador doesn't speak for himself, but he represents his king. And here we have some urgency uh, implied in verse 20. He says, he says, as though God did beseech you by us, that we, we are definitely, it points out here, we're definitely God's mouthpiece in this world. We're definitely the, the instrument in which God wants to voice his plan of salvation, the need for reconciliation, the plan of reconciliation, the, the death of his son. And, and he says, and we beseech you. That, that word has the idea of urgency, that, that we, need to, we need to be on duty. We need to understand that our ambassadorship is 24-7, and we have a message to give, and we have a king to represent. And, and there needs to be an urgency about it. The souls need the Lord. That, that, that people are out in this world lost and undone. And I don't understand all the workings of God and, and how messages get to people. But I was struck one time when, when uh, I was uh, at a mission conference. And this missionary to the Navajo Indians told the story of an old Navajo woman who was saved in her latter years. And, and she came with tears flowing down her cheeks and said, why didn't someone come and tell me this when I was a young person? There was an urgency of the need to get out the gospel, that, there's a, that, that, that we, we have a king that can reconcile people to themselves. And, and you see the urgency really brought out even further there in verse 2 of chapter 6 when he says, for he said, and I have heard thee in the time accepted, in the day of salvation I have succored thee. Behold, now is accepted time, and behold, now is the day of salvation. But listen, we cannot say to a person, now is accepted time, and now is the day of salvation, if we're not being ambassadors that he's called us to be. That we need to get out the word of God. That we need to, we need to get out the message that the king has given us, and we need to represent him in a proper way. Now, I want you to think about this message. Not only is it outstanding that God would want to be reconciled to men, but think about how spatial this message is. We have a God, the God, the one and only God, who wants to be reconciled with man, but he has to be holy. He wants to be reconciled with man, but he can't be unjust. That the wages of sin is death. To overlook sin would make God nothing more than the little g-gods. He cannot. He will not. It would be like this example if I'm a judge in a court and I sit at the bench and people are brought in criminal court 
and the criminal comes in and says, yes, I'm a mass murderer. Yes, I killed those people. I confess to all of it. I did it. Here's how I did it. Here are the circumstances. A full confession. A full confession is corroborated by all the evidence and eyewitnesses. It's an airtight case, and the judge, and he says to the judge, Judge, I'm really sorry about it, and sorry I did that. I won't do that again. Could you please be gracious and forgive me? And the judge says, <laughs> I gotta judge you by the law. You're guilty. And repentance is necessary for salvation. Now here's the issue. How can an absolutely holy God, whose eyes are too pure to look upon sin, be reconciled with sinners? How could a holy God even sit down at a table at a conference <coughs> or allow criminals to come before him? How can God satisfy his justice and yet forgive sin? How can God show mercy to those who showed no mercy to their victims? How can God show mercy when we deserve no mercy? And so that brings us to the message. Verse 21. For he hath made him. What we see here is God took the initiative. If we're going to be saved, if mankind is going to be reconciled, God has to take the initiative. Man does not approach unto God. Man does not seek after God. When God seeks them and draws them, they in a sense in that way seek God. But there's no reconciliation until God seeks it. Isaiah said, there's none that seeketh after God, that they're all gone away, out of the way. We're altogether unprofitable. Romans 5, 8, that tremendous verse says, but God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we wanted nothing to do with God, when we didn't want him in our presence, when we, when we, wanted, we wanted to just escape him, God reaches out. And so there can be no reconciliation. The message that we have is that our king wants to do business with you concerning your sin. That our king wants to reconcile you. It cannot come from any human source because we're all sinners. We're all, our righteousness are as filthy rags. And the Bible calls out to us to seek him, to search for him, to respond to him when he draws us. Now note that words, who know no sin. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Well, that eliminates it. <laughs> that eliminates a lot, of, a lot of possibilities. That boils it down to one person. 
Listen, only God is sinless. And so for reconciliation to take place, God had to become a man. All these religions that question the deity of Jesus Christ are without a reconciler. God had to become a man if we're going to be reconciled to him. Luke, when it talked about Mary and being conceiving and, and it talked about those early days of Christ upon the earth. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible says, Neither is there salvation any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And so he says here, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. What does that mean? That he became sin for us. It's an outstanding statement. Well, let me tell you first of all what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Christ became a sinner. It doesn't mean that he committed sin. It does not mean that he broke God's law. He didn't do that. We find scripture after scripture telling us that he knew no sin. And certainly it's unthinkable that God would turn himself into a sinner. The idea of God making anybody a sinner is unthinkable. He, wouldn't, he didn't make us sinners. We chose that. We were, we were born with the sin nature. And he made no one sin. And so what does it mean that he was made sin? The Bible says in Isaiah 53, a tremendous passage, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Little rabbit trail right there. The Calvinists want to say that he didn't die for all. This verse says that that, that <clears throat> this verse says that all we like sheep have gone astray. And then it says, and the Calvinists will say, limited atonement. Only those that are saved are the ones that he died for. But this verse says, all we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. This all in the first first part of the verse, and the all in the last part of the verse are the same people. That we have a message as a reconciler, the ministry of reconciliation, that we are ambassadors and we can declare the message. I can look in any man's face. I can look in any woman's face. I can look in any person who's of the age of accountability and say to them, Christ Jesus died for you that you might be reconciled to him. And so we're given the ministry of reconciliation. So what does it mean? Well, it means that God treated him as if he was a sinner. But more than that, God created him as if he sinned all the sins of the world. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That as we believe in him and, and his righteousness is imputed to us, his righteousness is imputed a, a banking term, that, that his righteousness becomes on our list, that all of our sins are taken away that our sins were imputed to him, that that, 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 that was listed on his account, that, that my sins became ledgered on his account. And he, uh, he became sin for us. 
be a, understand now that when he uh, went to the garden and prayed and sweat great drops of blood as it though were great drops of blood. Do you understand now why he cried, uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because imputed to his life was all the sin of Gene Humphrey. And it was worse than falling into a septic tank. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Without righteousness, we're not going to see the Lord. For he has said the scripture, Abraham believed God and has counted him for righteousness. James says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God and has putted him for righteousness. Romans 3 says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and of all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What a message. What a privilege to be an ambassador to carry that message. And so we've noted the word ambassador. We've talked about how we're appointed ambassadors when we're saved. 24-7 job. Our mission of an ambassador is a mission of reconciliation. Our message is that he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be the, made the righteousness of God in him. Now note the conduct of the ambassador in verse 3 of chapter 6. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. The conduct of an ambassador is critical. Back in 2002, the Swiss embassy in Germany, the Swiss ambassador in Germany was called back home because he was partying and he's living a scandalous life and it was a reflection upon his king. The Bible says that we don't have time to explore it, but sometimes there's a sin unto death doesn't mean we lose our salvation, but it may mean that we're no longer any earthly good to our Heavenly Father and we are taken home. Now listen, we live in America and we're big on claiming our rights. If somebody tells us not to do something, <laughs> we tell them, hey, this is America. I can do what I want to do. We don't like anyone telling us what to eat. We don't like anyone telling us what to drive. And we surely don't like anyone telling us what vaccine to take. We're Americans. But as ambassadors for Christ, it's a different story. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, he says, What? He's shocked. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. As an ambassador, and if you're saved here tonight, let me, let me say it again. You are an ambassador. You have a message to give, and you represent a country. And we've been bought with a price. And we're not our own. And our purpose in being reconcilers, our purpose in being ambassadors, is to bring glory to our great king. The greatest thing that we can do in this life is to fulfill our role as an ambassador and to bring honor to our king. That our king's name might be praised. That our king's name might be lifted up. And oh, how I need to guard my mind and guard my heart and watch my words and to realize that every step I take and every mouthing of words I give forth and every actions that I take in this life that I represent the king. People are looking at you. People know that you're a Christian if you are not uh, being a secret disciple. And let me say to you that no ambassador goes to a country and remains secret. We're to expose ourselves. And so tonight, I know we're not perfect, and I know that the Lord... When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But let's be conscious of the fact that that word ambassador is a verb in the present tense. And every place we go, we represent him. And it's been given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To know that we have the privilege of giving out the gospel that saves men from hell. I think that at times we need to look in the mirror, the word of God, and we need to up our game. We may need to recommit. We may need to Ask the Lord to help us put a watch on our mouths and on our hands and on our eyes. The little children's song saying when I was a little boy, be careful little eyes what you hear. Be careful little eyes what you hear. <laughs> eyes don't hear, do they? Careful little eyes what you see. For there's a father up above looking down in tender love. Be careful, little eyes, of what you see. And so that goes the ears, hands, feet. Are we careful? 
Some ambassadors come home because they've defamed their nation. I don't want to be one. Let's pray. Father, as I close here tonight, thinking of these thoughts that you laid on my heart's door in my office and and I brought here tonight, Lord, uh, I do pray that you would help me to be more conscious of the fact that I'm not my own, I've been bought with a price, that I'm here for a reason, that you've left me here for a reason, and that I am to be an ambassador for you. Lord, help us to see it as a noble calling. And Lord, help us not only to faithfully give forth your message, but in a greater way represent who you are. Lord, chip off the old rust and the calcium and the dirt and help us be more conformed to the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Brother Jordan.